The Shakespeare Society and PlayShakespeare.com presents Shakespeare Talks. Shakespeare Talks. Well, welcome to our living room. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't want to start off by flaunting my cultural ignorance, although I am a theater critic. But um, uh, growing up, uh, I was aware of Shakespeare, of course, at school and in sort of the ambient culture. Hamlet, Midsummer Night's Dream, Romeo and Juliet. But I wasn't so aware of Coriolanus as a play. Mm. And then somewhere in, in, uh, somewhere in high school, I, I, somebody played for me the song, Brush Up Your Shakespeare. <laughs> and then, of course, the lyric, the famous lyric is, if she claims your behavior is heinous, kick her right in the Coriolanus. <laughs> it's two gangsters. <laughs> two gangsters advise... I forgot that. Then. Yeah. How do, you use, how do you use Shakespeare to get girls? Um, but now, of course, with this movie, which, to my mind, is the first great Shakespeare adaptation on film of the 21st century. There have been a few others, but this one just combines the way it handles the text and adapts it for the, for the medium of, of cinema, and then even greater than that almost, relates the times that we're living in. Um, so I'm, as Michael was, was saying earlier, I think it's definitely this, this, this title, this play of Shakespeare's, is going to be much better known to children and adults going forward. So thank you for that. Thank um, you. Thank you. Now, to continue the idea of, of early contact with Shakespeare, I'd love to know uh, what was your first, your earliest uh, contact with the plays or the, the stories, the texts of Shakespeare? My first contact was my mother telling me in her own words the story of Hamlet. Mm -hmm. I, was, I shared a, a bunk bed with my brother and I was on the top bunk. And I can still remember her standing, so she'd be at sort of chest height talking to me, telling me the story of Hamlet, which completely gripped me. Mm -hmm. I, it, was, it held me. And I think I must have asked questions about the story the next day. And she produced a record, a long playing record of Laurence Olivier doing speeches from his films of Hamlet and Henry V. Mm -hmm. she, then she said, this is the speech from the play, which I told you the story of last night. And she put it on. And I, and I remember being transfixed by this voice and these words, which at that age, eight, eight or nine, I didn't really comprehend, but the voice and the words themselves, even in sort of, they transfixed me. Mm. I was hypnotized. And because she had given a context, and she said, this is the speech where he's just being left alone and he expresses the grief mm. of, of his father over this too, too solid flesh. Um, and, and so I started, and she helped me get a, 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 a foothold on understanding it. And the music, too, I have to say, William Walton music, too, <laughs> that really became part of the whole thing. So whenever I sometimes I, um, turn a classic movie, I come and I turn on, and there's Henry V, and mm -hmm. I get this, very, this huge wave of emotion comes over me, because it, it, the, the Hamlet and Henry V have really marked me since that, that time. Who was, the, who was the composer for Coriolanus? William Walton. Uh-huh. Did you work closely with him? Did you... Sorry, 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 I, oh. I misunderstood you. The, the, no, sorry. <laughs> Senile moment. Yeah. Um, William Walton did the music for the Olivier films. Oh, okay. The music for Coriolanus is um, Ilan Eshkiri, who's a British composer. Uh -huh. who, um, in fact, the music 
was something I, people kept asking me, um, what's the music going to be? And I have, a, I have a, a wariness of music that tells you what to feel in films, mm -hmm. that tells you that you should be moved here. Um, but I felt that I knew the music, sh I felt it should be propulsive, mm -hmm. it should be percussive. And um, I worked very closely. He's an amazing um, composer, and uh, kept on. He kept. He had about <laughs> forty or fifty music cues in the film, and I kept on saying, "No, no, not there, not there." Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we, we, I think it's about twenty cues altogether. Well, uh, uh, listening to, to Olivier deliver lines from Hamlet and Henry V at, at age eight, it must, there must have been a magic about that language. It must have, even if you don't understand every word, just the, the power of it must be inherent. Yeah, I think that was the beginning of it, and yeah. then I think that stayed with me. But I then, in my, in my teens, I didn't have a conscious ambition to be an actor at all. Mm. I think what had been laid down in me in, uh, earlier on by that introduction to Shakespeare sort of came back again when I left school and when I was, I was at art school for a short time. Mm -hmm. And uh, suddenly things came into focus for me that I wanted to be an actor. But I did know that being an actor for me meant Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. It was the, in the audition speeches for drama schools at the time, you had to do a Shakespeare and a contemporary speech. From, and the, it was the Shakespeare monologues that I used for auditions were the ones that I, I know I responded to more, more emotionally, more strongly. They were the, mm -hmm. That's what gripped me. But by your late uh, 20s, you were acting with the RSC? Yes, in um, 1988, I was asked to go there to play it's a great part, King Henry VI in the, the King Henry VI mm -hmm. trilogy, which in fact famously was done at Stratford by Peter Hall, and he, he collapsed the three Henry VI's into to two parts and called mm -hmm. it the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, we've got a little still up here. Um. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most, most a, a terrible wig that I had on. <laughs> and what happened was with that wig, did it, I, I, I could sort of, I could smooth it down perfectly for my <laughs> first entrance. And then the great important scene fighting over the crown uh -huh. with the Duke of York, I, I think I had to come on with it on. And in the course of the scene, I took it off, but the, the static electricity made, made the, the hair lifted right up. <laughs> well, you can see a bit of it lifting. <laughs> the, the, he, this is one of... Several, several of your Shakespearean roles that I wanted to, to talk about tonight. Uh, you've played many, many leaders, uh, royals, or, or in the case of Coriolanus, a, a military leader, who, um, who aren't simply uh, the best person for their job, necessarily. Who, the, the, there may be a mismatch between the man and the role, uh, or the, some tension, some gap. And with Henry VI, of course, uh, as we know, he's the, the monarch who failed to maintain order uh, during one of England's greatest civil broils, the War of the Roses. Mm. Uh, I, I just wanted to quote something that you wrote, actually, mm. in the Players of Shakespeare book. Yep. Um, in an essay on playing uh, Henry VI, uh, you said, uh, constantly I sensed while rehearsing the part that Henry is truly tragic because he is trying to follow the path of deep spiritual commitment, but is continually brought face to face with his own human fallibility. So you chose to focus on, on at least, in part, at least, on Henry's religiosity. I did. Yeah, yeah I think that was... For Henry's a d devout man, mm -hmm. really a holy man. He shouldn't be king. Mm. He should be... Well, he wants to... In a famous speech, he sits on a molehill in the middle of a battle and imagines life as a shepherd. Mm. 
Um, I think the, the weight of power, the weight of responsibility is totally unsuited for it in every way. Well, I think in all, um, so many plays of Shakespeare that deal with leadership and power, mm. you feel that, uh, you, that you know, in, in Henry VI's, the weak king is exposed and his weakness leads to civil war mm. and, 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 and bloodshed and he's pathetically unable to do anything about it. And of course, the other end of the spectrum in the same series of plays, you have Richard of Gloucester, who is intent on getting to power no matter what, yeah. will destroy anyone in his path. And, and, and in the whole arc of those plays, which were not written in sequence, I don't think, but you, you then you have the arrival of the good, just Duke of Richmond to become Henry the, mm. the, the, the seventh. But I think, I think in all... I feel that Shakespeare is always asking questions about the role, the, what, what power does to people. Mm. It's clear that the tyrant or the leader that abuses their power it cannot last. Mm. At the same time, the person who um, can't handle their power, in the case of Henry VI, also cannot last. Mm. What about uh, that, that, that interesting middle area of Prince Hal slash Henry V? That, that's, is that a role you ever took on? No, no. that's an interesting area because Hal is... You know, in the, in the Henry IVs, which I've never been in, but I've seen that, that mm. he's he's set up as being unsuited, irresponsible, doesn't understand the the gravitas of what it is to be a king, mm. and we see his father beset by the anxieties of having power. Um, Henry is very much a warrior king, I think. I, I think he's uh, the first thing he does is to go to war. Mm. Um, and, but there is the famous speech about ceremony, about what it is to be a king. I, mm. think, I always felt that soliloquy of Henry V just before the battle mm. is the one where I'm just a man and I don't know that I can handle the power that I have. Mm. It's pure, you know, or he, and he envies the, the ordinary man, the ordinary peasant who has no power. Which is similar to, to Henry's molehill speech. Yes. About, you know, and actually yeah. the, the molehill, not to like jump around textually for no reason, but the, uh, there's a wonderful line in Coriolanus about the, in the, the, the climactic uh, Volumnia Coriolanus showdown where he says, she kneels to him, I suppose, and he says, like Olympus stooping to a molehill. Mm. And I was thinking, oh, that's a nice little echo there. Yeah. yeah the molehill. Yeah. Well, I would love to talk about Hal and Prince, and Prince Henry V, but... <laughs> I'm afraid I'm... I think you'd make a great Henry V. In theory, I can talk about it. I think you'd make a great Henry V. Um, so, on to... Let's, let's jump ahead a few years to another, uh, another monarch who lost hold on power, Richard II. Mm. Um, there, I guess, uh, there you are, playing it probably at... At BAM, but did that play in London or was it only BAM and in, in, in Japan? No, Richard II was a double bill with yep. the Coriolanus, Coriolanus. In, in 2000. Was, was it at Almeida first and then it came over? The Almeida produced it uh -huh. at an old, um, well, it, it was, I think, built as a power station. It was known as the Gainsborough Studios. It was famous because it was where Alfred Hitchcock had shot his very early films. Uh -huh. And it was about to be torn down or developed into apartments. It was, it's a shame because it was a wonderful building. but. Just before it got pulled down, the Almeida Theatre were able to produce inside it, mm. a th made a theatre out of it. Mm. It, wasn't, well, it wasn't acoustically particularly great, but it, <laughs> it was a great space. Uh, it was, an, it was a, a, a bravura um, a pairing, uh, Richard II, the, the famously... I, I, I was, I, my wife was saying, I was, I was making my notes, I said, was he a hedonist? And she, she vehemently disagreed with that. Uh, he wasn't exactly a hedonist, but he, he was a... A selfish, self-dramatizing king, I suppose? Well, I, I think that Shakespeare's portrait is, is he's capricious. Mm. Um, 
and he's 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 irresponsible. He mm. takes the land from his, the the dying um, John of Gaunt. A bit high-handed with with John of Gaunt. He's high-handed, capricious. He's not. Mm. He does. He has. He lacks any real. I think any real sense of real insight into people until until his power is taken from him. Yeah. And then, I mean, yes, there's a slight, I think there's, in some of the most extraordinary lyric verse, I think Shakespeare ever wrote. Mm. Um, and and, 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 and a, a language of self-examination, some degree of self-pity, but in the most extraordinary rich language, yeah. uh, mocking himself, mocking other people. He dra yes, he's sort of dramat within, he's conscious of the drama mm. as, as it's happening to him. He's literally, he's, he's aware of it. He's sort of outside it and in it at the same time, in the famous um, um, deposition scene. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Which is an incredible scene. Both to holding onto the crown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, with, with, with Henry VI, you were able to find this sort of saintly aspect to his character that, that in some ways, at least the way you write about it, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't see it, makes, ennobles him as a human, uh, even if he has weaknesses, as, uh, weaknesses and fallibilities. Well, I think Shakespeare, in all of these characters, the great mm. thing is they're human beings. Yeah. I mean, he's, that's, this is what's so why we come back to these plays, I suppose, because the human dilemma at the center of any of these parts mm. is, is, is so moving. And even Richard III, on the eve of the Battle of Bosworth, is sort of stricken with panic about his own identity, his own mm -hmm. psychosis. He's, um, Richard loves Richard, that is, yeah, yeah. I am I. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, uh, wanted to reaffirm himself to himself. What was it like playing uh, Richard II and Coriolanus on alternating nights? Was it a bit schiz schizophrenic for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was very, it was very, it was a kind of, um, sometimes it felt like too much. Mm. I think it's okay if you're playing the same part in you know, two shows a day, but uh, mm -hmm. to go from one to the other. It was, it was thrilling, but it was, on, the two sh the, on the day when we had to do both was, was pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Rafe, there's a little blood there. Yeah. Like, you know, I was say, leave some blood on uh, after the Coriolanus, you know, you need to make sure oh, yeah, yeah. it's all washed no, in off. In fact, you reminded me of one night on Richard II, that he gets killed in, that we had a, he gets murdered, and um, a guy came, comes at me with a knife, and I dodged the knife, and then we had a, and one night, he, it, the knife came at me, and it, for some reason, I didn't get out of the way, or mm. he was too close, but the blade of the knife went right into my hand, just here, and I felt this pain and I looked down and there was quite a big hole and this blood was pouring out <laughs> and I thought show the blood show the blood <laughs> <laughs> use it yeah, use it use it yeah. yes. <laughs> um, so so uh, Coriolanus obviously impressed itself on, on, on your on your consciousness did you did you know during the run of, of Coriolanus that I want to make a movie of this? Or when did that, when did that process, ha how did that process happen, I should ask? I, I remember having a thought about it, could this be a film when I was doing it. Um, you just seemed that the scale of it was, and, and the, 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 I mean, it seemed like it, it, it's, it's got a very, it's very textually dense as a play, Coriolanus. Mm. It's got incredibly not, knotty, difficult passages. But as a story, as a dramatic, as a sort of narrative line, it's really strong. It's mm. really sort of dy dynamic and, and it's very jagged and fractured and confrontational. Mm. And it just goes from streets to, to sort of battlefields, back to senates, back to the streets, 
back to another place, to Antium. I mean, I think the way, the scale of it, where it goes geographically, mm. is, is exciting. And uh, its symmetries are very yeah. uh, son, son and mother and uh, man. It, the, the connections are very strong. I mean, they're always strong between the, the characters in Shakespeare's plays, but, but they're very primal, aren't they? Like uh, Coriolanus and Ophidius and, mm. and his, the son and mother and, and all that. Um, uh, the, what was the process getting it to, to a film? Though? I mean, how, 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 who did you first approach in terms of wanting to, to have, get it made? Well, for years, for years, it was just an idea. I, you know, I, mm. it, was, it was clearly, it, it's, not, it's not a well-known play. It's famous for being very difficult. Mm -hmm. it's, it's confrontational to an audience, and it's, it's jagged, dense text, and he's, he's very angry for a lot of it, Coriolanus. So, I think the danger is, and I know I fell into it, is that you, you, you're shouting a lot, and you, how you modulate the rage, which the play asks you to have a lot, is, is the challenge of the part. Um, so it was for years, it was just literally an idea. And um, then I, I was approached by a producer I'd worked with on another film about directing something, not Coriolanus, something else that never happened. But I did for a while work on this other project and I think that gave me uh, maybe a kind of confidence because I had worked, gone to locations, and I talked about this other film. And I think and that didn't happen, sadly. Mm -hmm. um, but the experience of thinking the other side of the camera was, was, in, was really made its mark, I suppose. And then at some point, I decided, well, I'm, I'm going to go for it. You knew you wanted to direct it yourself. Well, I'm going to go for making a film of it, yes. Mm. And I, I mean, uh, no one else was banging on my door wanting to direct <laughs> Coriolanus. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, as in thinking about it, I kept on thinking, how would you do it? Mm. Um, and th those ideas just cooked and cooked and cooked. And I, I, I have a great agent here in the States who listened to the, this. I said, this is what I would like to do. He said, go for it. So mm. I... The first stage of it was actually getting up. I worked with a picture researcher. I got a whole load of images together, of most, a, lot of them, a lot of them photojournalistic images that reflected a modern setting for this, for this story of Coriolanus, if you were to make it a film. So, um, and then that, I, we sort of thinned down the images so they literally I could tell the story to someone and, and show them images that would reflect the possible setting mm -hmm. for the film, a modern setting. Um, and then I was introduced to the screenwriter, John Logan, um, and, and I pitched it mm -hmm. to him. He's a screenwriter, if you don't know, he's written like Gladiator and Aviator. He did the play here, Red, that was on Broadway. Hugo, he did the screenplay? For yeah, for Hugo, yeah. 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 Well, I, I definitely want to get back to Coriolanus in a, in a little bit, but uh, can we jump back to talk about uh, Hamlet a little bit? Sure. Um, this was your first time being directed by Jonathan Kent. I believe, mm -hmm. right, at mm -hmm. the Almeida? Yep. Um, and of course, came, uh, the production of Hamlet came to Broadway, winning you the, the Tony Award. Very nice. Um, uh, another, I suppose, uh, uh, <laughs> 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 that's a very nice picture, that's very nice. Nice, hair, nice hairdo. Um, the, um, the still uh, issues of, of power and, 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 and social role. The, the wonderful thing about, I mean, one of the wonderful things about Shakespeare, I've, as a student in college and then as a, as a critic and watcher of Shakespeare, one of the wonderful things he's able to conjure to me is, is a sense of interiority of character. Um, Stephen Greenblatt has written about how Shakespeare is able to conjure up sense, a, a sense of depth to character without necessarily 
having some, people having to explain their, you know, unpack their hearts. Hamlet's reference to um, that which path, passeth show. Mm. Um, and it's this almost trick that he does, like I'm, uh, that, that he's able to con give the illusion of depth. Mm. Uh, I'm just curious, you're, you're, one of your wonderful things you're able to do, of course, is to, to suggest ambiguity and confusion. And um, What's my question? Uh, playing Hamlet, yeah. uh, was it a, a huge challenge? I mean, it's a fair, it's, it's that sort of Everest of roles. Well, I think, you know, the, 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 I mean, uh, Hamlet is a part, you know, it's, it's a truism to say it, you know, actors dream about playing Hamlet. Mm -hmm. um, it is the great part of, of the questions of who am I, what do, what's the point of it all, what's the meaning of life. Every single person, I, I, I suggest, would, will connect with Hamlet at some point in their life. What's the meaning of it all? What do I do? What choice? What's the right thing to do? Um, um, it's, the, it's the play that asks all the big, big questions about, you know, what, what's the meaning of life, mm. um, I think. Um, and, and, and it's also the, a part that is completely, I, I, I think, the Hamlet becomes, who, who's ever playing Hamlet makes that Hamlet. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's totally answered within the spirit and personality of the actor playing it. The, it, the questions come from that actor. There's no, yeah, there's no stereotype of what Hamlet should be, I suppose. No, I don't no. think there is. Yeah. And it's also a part that everyone feels they have a, well, they can have a possession, because it's so, it's so close to everyone mm. that it, you know, everyone feels there's the, there's the Hamlet they've got to see that is definitive. And no Hamlet can satisfy everyone, mm. I don't think. What, uh, what was your journey playing it? Was there something, did you have an assumption about the, about the character that was changed or did, over the course of playing it? I don't know if I had any, I, I had a huge hunger to play it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had been learning the speeches for auditions. I had been listening to it since my mother put it on the record player. Um, so I, 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 I was really hungry and excited to, to play it. Um, Jonathan's encouraged me to, to not hang about. You know, it was played, sometimes I think I was a bit too fast. But, on, um, but I mean, there is, there is an argument that, you know, Shakespeare... Sometimes it, it's, it, 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 he actually becomes more accessible, taken at a bit of a lick. Mm. Um, but you know that's not always the case. But uh, I remember. No, I remember the the, the moment. I mean, the, I think people say, "What's the where?" There's always a point in the performance. There, there seems to be in some some of these Shakespeare roles a point when the actor sort of there's a point in the in the arc of the performance which. The actor goes, it's the kind of aha moment for the actor. It can be any point. It's where they kind of connect. Um, and I, I, where the part opens up for them. It's the mm -hmm. part that they respond. They li it links to the actor's spirit and emotions. It could be a point, a speech, a moment. Um, I think, I don't know, for, for myself that's, I think, the case. But there is, the, 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 the moment that sort of, that I felt I connected with was just after the, the ghost scene. It, I felt that that's the moment there's a sort of rupturing in Hamlet. There's a sort of, he, we know that he's upset and he resents Claudius's presence as his mother's mm -hmm. new husband, but suddenly this information, suddenly the world lacks all coherence. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's the beginning of a, I, mean, I think this whole thing about is he mad or not, I think it's, is ambivalent. I mean, I think he's a highly intelligent man, but I think he's on the edge of some kind of psychosis there. The, the moment after, right after the... the I the, think the so. He's like, he can't... Yeah. What does it mean? What's the, what does, how, do, how do I comprehend? It's distracted globe and all that, yeah. yeah. Um, 
yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it was something as a sort of inner splintering is all like is the best way to describe it. There are two productions on in in London right now that just. Um I mean, it's no secret that the, the Shakespeare's text has been staged a variety of ways, and it's a very the, te the texts are very elastic. But there's a production with um, Michael Sheen right now that's right. set in a mm. the, the young Vic or the old Vic. Or, the young Vic, I think. Vic, yeah. Set in um, a, a mental asylum. They've yeah. sort of taken that metaphor all the way. Mm -hmm. And then there's a uh, this will be getting to Coriolanus. There's a ragey theater. Uh, Thomas Ostermeyer, who's a, a German director, oh, yeah. which is yeah, like I'd this, like to see that. I would too. Yeah. Um, sp speaking of, I mean. This may be, uh, speaking of ragey theater, although this might be an inelegant <laughs> segue, what you've, what you've done with Coriolanus, it's, it's, it's pretty radical in terms of the cutting of the text and, 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 and setting of it, setting a, finding a new, a new location. Well, I think you have to cut the text. Yeah. For film, I think you have to. And, and I think um, we've taken some lib liberties. I mean, with John, we, in a few places, we would change a word. Uh, like um, he says, the blood I drop is more physical than harmful to me, which I've, I felt would be odd for modern ear because physical sort of means help medicinal. Mm -hmm. So he literally said, but be more medicinal than harmful to me. So mm -hmm. wherever we could nudge comprehension a little bit, we would might change something very a tiny bit, but mm -hmm. not hardly at all. But where we did, um, we did take liberties with the play, uh, which I th think, it, is um, there's a char the character Menenius, who's the ad advisor figure, like a sort of uncle figure. To, he's a guy, actually, he's sitting in the audience now. Played by Brian, by Brian Cox. Cox yeah. who's, I was blessed to have Brian in, in the show. Uh, um, but the, the character of Menenius, in, uh, the, what, I can't, well, what happens to him in mm -hmm. our film is different from what happens to him in the play. And also the entrance of, of, of Ophidius, um, Gerard Butler, we, we took us another, another scene from the play, we took lines from it to give him a, a different entrance, because I, I would argue that Ophidius's entrance, in, the first lines he has in the Shakespeare are some of the most unhelpfully difficult lines <laughs> you're ever given to, I mean, the, the syntax, the grammar is just really hard for that, for anyone playing it, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so, um, the, the, the choice of, of, of setting it uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, in, in filming around, you filmed around Belgrade, right? We, we shot it in Belgrade. I mean, the idea behind the film is, is not that it's, it, we made it in Serbia, but it's, it's not really meant, I mean, if you read into it something to do with the Balkan conflict, that's fine, but it's really, in fact, we got permission to use the, a card at the front of the film, called, uh, it says, a place yes. calling itself Rome, and that is actually the title of a version of Coriolanus John Osborne, written right? by John Osborne. Yeah. Which was never, I believe, never been produced. Yeah, from '72. Yeah, rather. but it completely summed yeah. up the kind of idea behind this this film, which is this is a place that happens to call itself Rome. I love so it. It could be anywhere in a way. I mean, we, because it's East, because it's Belgrade, it has the it has yeah. a, a feel of Eastern Europe. I love the precision of that of that uh, of that language of, yeah. of a place calling itself Rome. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, as if the place itself is a bit hubristic. Um, uh, it's uh, it's. Um, so, it, it, could you tell me a little bit more about the process with John Logan? You sat down with the, with the, the, the text? And well, I was very relieved that John Logan, he says, he, says I, I, he's, he would say, I did what you should never do, which is say yes in, within half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he loved the idea of it. Yeah. So, we spent about a week, a very intense week, sort of deciding what, what it would be, how you would adapt, where you would set things, what, and what you would cut. 
and we started to cut it. Um, and then he went away, and within about seven to eight weeks, came back with a, an amazing first draft. Mm. He, I mean, as a screenwriter, he has this extraordinary gift of sort of... Because I think the person who reads a screenplay is also like a, a, a viewer. As they read, they, sh they see the film, and they imagine it. In, mm -hmm. And the best screenwriting, I think, helps you see the movie. As you, and the way John can write on the page really helps you follow the, the physical, the emotional sort of momentum of a film. You, you feel you're there. You mm -hmm. feel sort of almost you can feel the, the editing. And, and around the, the, the dialogue, he would... I mean, a, a, a screenplay is as much its description as mm. it is its dialogue. Yeah. Um, and so he, the bits of Shakespeare and John's, John's screenwriting um, really brought it alive. And I think people... Because when I was, I was pitching it to people, you know, distributors and, and, and financiers, and it was a hard pitch to get them to... You know, it was, uh, but when they read the screenplay, it was they, they suddenly, you could feel them going, oh, this is something else. Mm. They mm. hadn't, it became, it's a, I, I would argue it's a page turner of a screenplay. Well, you, th you think of film as an essentially uh, a visual medium, yeah. which it obviously is, but, yeah. but the power of, of, of those, those lines recorded and, and, yeah. and, and performed so exactly. I, what, one thing I loved about the movie, I, I had the luck to see a screener of it, was that the very first lines of it are spoken in, in I wouldn't say heavily, but accented English. Uh, you have an, an actress from Belgium and, and uh, playing yeah. uh, the two of the citizens are named um, Cassius and Tamara. We never, yes, I we, 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 well, I felt very early on their first, second, third, fourth citizen is on the page right. of the play. But I just felt, you know, even they, you don't actually hear those names spoken right. in this, but I just felt in the way as, as you enter into the world of the film, I, I wanted to have names for people. Yep. Two, ver two very loaded names, too. Yes, those were John's, John's ideas. Yeah, I, but, yeah. I mean, it was just, if you're going to ask actors to play, I think you want to say, give someone a name, a name the name of a part they're playing. Right. It was, it was um, a lovely moment at the beginning of the film, as if to say, this, uh, this, this, move, this world does not belong you know, only to sort of English-trained uh, actors. Yes, well, very much so. And also, it, I wanted it to suggest a modern city, yeah. in any city like this great city here that's full of different accents. Yeah. Um, and, and I also wanted it to feel like it, was, it's an, it's, it could be anywhere and, and, and sort of keep, in a way, keep the audience on their toes about where is it meant to be. Um, do we have time? Should we go to a clip now? Do you want to go to a clip? Yes, why not? We, I think we're seeing a clip from uh, when you're fighting in Coriolis. Okay. Um, so. Whoa. Ah. I love, that, uh, I love that suspenseful pause you have, the soldiers before they, they raise their fists. Uh, that sort of, how, how, much of a, how much love does he actually engender as a leader? Um, I mean, a, a great deal, obviously. Um, uh, about the character of Coriolanus, um, uh, <laughs> it, it, the, the, one of the paradoxes, perhaps not a paradox, in his character is that he's in the social unit of, of a, of a of an, of an army troop. Mm -hmm. He's able to lead and function and mm. maintain order and harmony. Whereas in the realm of, of, the, of, of, of politics, in a democratic sense, a larger... Well, I, I've know. always felt that the way I could the best understand him that he's purely a soldier. He's been trained since being a young boy. He's probably been to a military academy when he was age eight or nine. He's been only trained to, to be a soldier and to be in the front line and to be brought up by a mother who considers the highest honor being prepared to die, in, in fact, dying for your country. So he's, 
So this is a very slightly scary, very sort of particular mode. He's, I, mean, I think he's like a sort of samurai in a way. Yeah. And, and the samurai famously, you know, they had contempt for civilians. They, they were very proud mm. indeed. And Coriolanus, I, I mean, he, is, he has, there's no question, he has extreme contempt for the ordinary man and woman on the street. I mean, to a slight pathological extent, maybe. Mm. But I think the way to understand it is because he's, he's totally prepared always to be in harm's way for his country. But he's, he's definitely somehow, I feel, a sort of emotionally quite stunted person. In fact, he's the, the, the only, weirdly, the, the person with whom there might be any kind of exchange of intimacy is, is Gerard Butler, is the enemy. <laughs> So there is this ambivalence about the man I hate is the man I want to be, is the man I might also want to be the lover of, um, which is not expressed overtly, but is there. Um, and, and at the end, of course, there is, there is um, the insults Ophidius gives to Coriolanus, is boy, boy, boy. And uh, I think he is, really, he's a boy inside a man's warrior's body. Uh, he's not developed. He's only, he's only one thing, and I, I find that, that's, for me, that's the tragedy of it. And um, when I first saw, I first saw the play with um, Ian McKellen playing it in the National, I remember being moved to tears by, and transfixed by this moment of a man who's presented himself to the world in this hard, steely way, um, and actually, in, in the course of the play, compromising himself all the time, <coughs> determined not to give in, and suddenly just breaking. Hmm. Um, and for me, that's where, that's where all the strands of the play go. For, through all the stories of the politicking and the manoeuvring and the warfare, everything, all the sort of the narrative energy strands, if you like, of the, of the story come to this umbilical confrontation between a mother and a son, an essential thing that no one can deny this thing to mm. their mother. No one. Everyone's got it. And that's, yeah. that's where it goes, right to that point. And, and, in that, and in, in she breaks him, he weeps. In that moment, his humanity comes out of him. He makes peace. A man who's only ever been conditioned to fight and kill makes peace. And because he makes peace, he's stabbed to death. And the great irony is that he dies mm. for his country. He, he dies mm. in order to get mm. out of the way and for peace to be made. But it, yes, but it, yeah, but it's 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 the eternal kind of destructive force. I think that mm. I think Shake, it's is arguably quite a nihilistic piece. But Shake, I think there are plays of Shakespeare that end with a kind of despair mm. about what we are, and I think the Coriolanus is one of them. It's funny. I I, had, I knew a director once who said that Shakespeare is all crucifixion, no resurrection. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, it was. I think there's some truth there. It's, it's I mean Lear. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. I think in some plays, I think some plays, the possibility of hope and the future is very much present. Yeah. Mm. Maybe he meant the tragedies, but, mm -hmm. but the, um, the word alone appears twice in that scene, in that excerpt that mm -hmm. we saw. Mm. Um, and it, uh, I mean, I, I counted, it, it, it occurs about 14 times mm. in the play, with the final one being... No, I think he mm. is very alone. Mm. He's a lone mm. figure, he calls himself Lonely Dragon. He, um, me alone, yeah. I, I did, he's, his aloneness is... He's lonely, alone, yes, he's singular. He mm. holds himself apart. Of course, it, you can't hold yourself apart from people. I mean, if you somehow, in the end, I think it will destroy you. Mm. And he's content to kill the enemy, but like you say, when his, 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 uh, does he enjoy killing? Is he, is he a bit of a sociopath? Possibly. 
Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The, the look of the film obviously has this wonderful handheld, you are there uh, immediacy. Mm. Um, I can't remember right now the name of your cinematographer, but. Barry Aykroyd. Yeah. Barry Aykroyd, who I met on a film called The Hurt Locker. Mm. He shot that. Mm. Um, he also shot United, United 93. Mm. But he's a brilliant cinematographer. He's, he comes from a background of documentary, that's his background. Um, of course, the handheld thing is done a lot now, and, and I definitely wanted that style for the crowd scenes and the battle scenes. But, but within that, he actually has the most extraordinary eye. Mm -hmm. His instinctive com composing of a shot is, is extraordinary. Mm. And then you could, cut, you could sort of stop the f any take any time on his camera, and you'd get a wonderful frame. Was there any sort of... I mean, I, I haven't asked any questions about, although they might be boring for you, about, about, about technique, about um, some people approach characters from the outside in, inside out. Uh, but to get the, the ensemble, and of course you have an amazing ensemble, Vanessa Redgrave, Brian Cox, Jessica Chastain, Gerard, Gerard Butler, to get everybody on the same page, as it were, was that a concern, or how did you, how, what was there a rehearsal process for the, for the film? Well, they, I would love, in an ideal world, I would have loved to have had a week's rehearsal or more, mm. but we, we couldn't because people, people's schedules were tight, some people were coming from other films in, and the calendar of people's availability didn't make that possible. But we did rehearse at weekends, we did five-day weeks, so there was a day of rest for everyone, then, then the second day of rest would become a rehearsal day or a preparation day. Um, but um, we would get in a room and we would we just talk through talk through the text and I mean quite gentle. I mean I, I remember being, being quite nervous in those rehearsals more than on the set in a way. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, I think I think some of the I mean I had amazing actors, mm. so it, they all came with this sort of their instinct for the parts, all sort of brilliantly coherent and ready to go. Uh, the only thing I, but I think so much was, I mean, when you have really great actors, you, you, just, don't, you just don't want to get in their way. Yeah. You just, <laughs> with Brian and Vanessa, you just don't, you want just to make sure the camera's in the right place and, and, <laughs> Go. and that they're in focus. Well, if, if it's all right, we'll, we'll watch a second clip, which I think is, is um, in the Senate, where your Coriolanus's anti-democratic flag is flying high. Um, can we go to the second clip? Great. I believe... Menenius is in this. Oof. <laughs> uh, poor John Nesbitt there getting thrown on the carpet. Yeah. Um, so he, does, he deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, uh, there's Coriolanus's political philosophy. Uh, is, there, is, there any, is there any part of you that, that uh, agrees with, with that sort of notion of divided government? Of what government? Of divided government cannot, cannot rule. I mean, that Coriolanus, we give too much, too much power to the people? Well, I think, I mean, it, 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 logically he has a point. Mm. If you have, if, when two authorities are up, neither supreme, mm. then there's, you know, then if, if you don't have one leading party, mm. then you're going to have trouble. But, I mean, if you, but if, if you, if you, his sentiments are essentially very authoritarian, and nationalistic and anti-democratic, and I, I don't know, I don't agree with that, but I, mm. I, do, agree, I, do, I do understand the, the military man who says there must be a, f a form of, of strong government. Mm. 
Mm. And, and it's interesting now with all these things that are going on, of course, most of us, we want there to be a fair democratic process. But it's interesting, isn't it, when, when, when things are in transit, when things are in turmoil, there will be, there, there will, you know, there's, there's a sort of um, a separation mm. and, and in, within, within those who are fighting to get power. Um, it's interesting to see in Egypt at the moment how the military is still anxiously holding itself, you know, containing everything. Yeah. Um, you know, do, do they, the question is, do they really want to have power or are they, are they looking for a, an ease into a government that will, will, keep, will keep order? Um, a lot of it is about all, all keeping control and order. Um, and, and but no, he's, he has very frightening... He shouldn't be allowed anywhere near <laughs> authority of <laughs> political office. <laughs> and, uh, no. um, I'd, I'd love to... Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but I'd love to talk about uh, your most recent Shakespearean role, um, Prospero in The Tempest. Mm. Um, another, another leader, another, another person with a, with a slippery relationship to power. Um, Trevor Nunn directed that at Theatre Royal Haymarket, was that it? And, yeah. um, uh, well, I mean, it seems like Prospero's journey in the play is from one of revenge to forgiveness. Um, how, how did you... No, I think it? that's true. I think the forgive, the give, the forgive, yes, it's key. I mean, I think, it's we, we never know what his revenge is going to be. Mm. Um, even, even at the very opening, he talks about no harm, there being no harm to the ship. He's determined, are they aerial safe, he asks, of the, the, the people in the ship, mm. his brother and the, his other enemies. So it, it, it's, it, well, I, I got fixated by that. He, he wants to, a moment of reckoning, he wants a moment of confrontation with the brother and, the, and, the, and Alonso and Sebastian who have, who have um, kicked him out of his dukedom years ago. But he never says that he wants to destroy them. Mm. His form of revenge is, is confrontation, in a sense. We never, yes, a confrontation to what end? We we never know. Mm. But then, but I think the the forgiveness is huge. Mm. The theme of and in Trevor's production, it was very much it was very much a a, a point of focus. Mm. Um, the, the the continual forgiveness. Yeah. Um, well, how how was the magic handled? In the, in the did you was it through special effects in the production? This was a production um, where you know. Um, there were some special effects and flying, and it was quite visually quite opulent, I mm. think. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, and, and I normally, I know these, these what are you doing next questions are rather banal, but I'd love to know, are there other Shakespeare roles that you're considering right now? Um, nothing immediate. I've been, you know, I, there, but I mean, there are some great roles that, I've, that I would love to get my teeth into, but yeah. nothing is being, not, not right now, there's nothing concrete that I could tell you about. Yeah. But, uh, and what about Coriolanus? Will it be a one-off, or are there other other of his plays that you could envision as films? Well, I'm. Uh, I mean, I think Shakespeare does lend himself to adaptation. I think he can. I mean, I think it. Be, uh, but it's um, yes. I mean, I think I don't. I don't know. And John Logan's very keen to. He's mentioned Anthony and Cleopatra. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to rush into another Shakespeare film. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess now I'd like to, uh, it's time for a prize. Uh, I'd like to invite uh, Anne McDonald, the president of the Shakespeare Society, up to award the medal, Shakespeare Medal.
No bipartisanship for Coriolanus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to mention this, but I think given what you talked about with your, mo with your mother, I'm, I'm going to say something somewhat personal. I also was given a record of Hamlet when I was young. It was Richard Burton's LP, and uh, together with the Schofield Lear. And uh, I listened to it over and over and over and over again, in, starting in about seventh or eighth grade. And it, the plays got in my ear, and that's probably why I'm here now. I'm not an actor, although I am a litigator. So, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe a little bit. Anyway. Um, I, I do understand the getting something like that into your mind early. It really changes your life. And Hamlet is absolutely dear to me as a result of it. Lear too, but I had a harder time with Lear. Hamlet I got easier, I think, anyway. And talking about Hamlet, um, Shakespeare was, as you say, so, I mean, he was the greatest observer in a way of human beings I, that ever wrote, in, at least in English, that I know of. Um, and he famously uh, was also very interested in, obviously, in actors. And he thought, I think, that we role play our way into becoming who we are in life. And I think that's all over the plays. And he famously um, gave some advice to the players uh, in Hamlet and to actors. And I think Prince Hamlet, and I think we may safely say Shakespeare, tells us what I think he thought it meant to be an actor. He says that the purpose of playing and this is Prince Hamlet talking, both at the first and now, was and is as toward to hold a mirror up to nature, to show virtue her feature, scorn her own image, and the very age and body of the time, his form and pressure, form and pressure as a, as a, like a wax impression. And Rafe, I think Shakespeare would have considered you his star pupil. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in, really, in your remarkable acting career, you have shown us human nature uh, in all its magnificence and its sometimes degradation. Um, the piece of work, the masterpiece that is man, and the savagery of which he is capable, and eventually the quintessence of dust that is his inevitable fate. And I think in your directorial debut with this stunning Coriolanus film, um, you really have shown us the form and pressure of our own time. So thank you for this film. Thank you for bestowing your prodigious gifts on the works of William Shakespeare. And so I am delighted on behalf of the Shakespeare Society and its board to present you with our Shakespeare Medal in recognition of your tremendous contribution to the world of Shakespeare. so much to the Shakespeare Society. This is uh, an honor beyond words. We both connected uh, by our mothers introducing uh, us to Shakespeare. I'm sorry. I wish my mother could be here. But, oh. Thank you very much.
listening to Shakespeare Talks, brought to you by the Shakespeare Society and PlayShakespeare.com. Shakespeare Talks.